Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Coronavirus so that I can just get it over with and go golfing and not be bothered to stay at home. We're recording, aren't we? <laughs> uh, I'm so bored. This is the highlight of my day. That's how you know I'm so bored. Oh my god. This is the only thing I have going on today. I have nothing else to do. Because I can't. Because I'm not allowed. And you're lucky you have this. Because if we weren't all already like exposed to each other and only seeing each other and literally no one else in the world, we wouldn't even be doing this. I'd be like Forrest Gump. I'd be a marathon runner and a champion ping pong player. Oh, man. You are going to have to diversify your uh, hobbies. Well, no, you game. Aren't you happy gaming? <sighs> I can only do so much. When you do seven hours straight, oh, it's the next lot. day I'm like, I feel like I'm just filth. I've been play- yeah, I've been gaming more now than I have since high school probably, and boy has it been. Yeah, you forget the feeling of like when you sit on a seat and your butt's just like numb and you just feel so shamed. Yeah, I pulled my putter out to uh, to start working on my putting. Do you have a green set up in your basement? Oh no, not yet. Thank God Amazon's still open. <laughs> Only for so long. Yeah. I, I saw some high quality green. I'm gonna throw down and get a nice little thing that returns the balls. Oh yeah, a dog? No, definitely not. That's way too expensive. Um, I've been so affected that I bought a quarantine switch. Well, I'm getting a quarantine switch um, from one of our listeners. Actually, bless his soul. Um, I wasn't going to. I was like, I'm still gonna save this money and like put it towards paying down student loans or. You know, saving up for our next house or whatever. Um, and then I was eating banana chips and I broke yet another tooth. I don't know if you guys remember this, but I have incredibly brittle teeth. Eating banana chips is how I broke one. And it was my last good tooth to chew on. And I was so angry. I was like, forget it. I'm getting the switch. And so I got that and a bunch of games off Amazon. And I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. Dentist office won't even be open for a long time. So no, they won't. About it. I literally couldn't go to the dentist. If I-, I don't have dental insurance, but I couldn't go to the dentist if I wanted to. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I'm on I'm on Mel's dental insurance until July or uh starting July. And so I just have to not get dumped between now and then. Well <laughs> so, the ultimate test has begun since now we have a quarantine on our hands. Yeah, she, a lot's gonna be uncovered and I'm I'm a little worried. Although it is technically her house, so she can't legally convict or evict me right now. I don't think so. So I have some things in my favor. Brad, how are you doing, man? I'm bored <laughs> i'm so bored uh, do you know how many red wings compilation videos i've watched on youtube oh bless a wood if you're not following a wood 40 on youtube he's the patron saint of red wings fandom we would all be nothing without them he's the patron saint of this quarantine honestly like i think uh he posted what compilation of all of eiserman lidstrom's and Fedorov's playoff goals i don't think any of them were on youtube for longer than an hour and i'm like done What's next? Yeah. So now I'm just like, come on, dude. Where's where's Shanahan? Where's McCarty? Where's come on? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I got to get my hockey fixing somehow because you know it's bad. Sports Center and Sportsnet aren't even running morning shows anymore. Oh boy. Like I'm literally since I was honest to God, probably ten years old. I've had the same routine where I would get up every morning, have my breakfast, sit on the couch, and watch Sports Center, Sportsnet, whatever. This is the first time. In literally over two decades, I can't do that. 
I, I'm I'm such a useless human being. I just stare at the blank TV going, what do I do now? <laughs> Brad being bored and unoccupied is actually a true measure. Actually, two things here. Brad being bored and his little spastic brain not being able to pick, like settle down on something and you saying you were excited to come here are the two signs of the apocalypse. Yep. Two more horsemen and we're there. Maybe that's why I get the comments like change the show to the Ryan Hanna is a prick show. <laughs> I don't think people realize I'm kidding. Yeah, my dad called me. He's like, so what have you been doing? I'm like, I don't know. I started talking to my wife again. <laughs> I can only vacuum the floors so many times. <laughs> want to vacuum our floors? No. We have a dog. It's impossible to keep yeah. up. Oh, you should see Demon right now. That dog looks like he went through a professional groomer. I had so much time yesterday. Oh, because you, you did the blow it yourself? Oh, I didn't do a full blow because I wouldn't know how to properly do that. But I sat there with a brush for probably an hour and a half. I could have built two abbeys out of what I pulled off a demon. Please, no. One's enough. <laughs> Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. We're doing great. How about you? I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm bored, Crisco. I'm bored, Evan. Bored Lobsinger? Yeah. Evan, bored singer. I will take any suggestions for things to do. <laughs> uh, on this podcast, we... Ex- will- how about exercise, Evan? I have. Every day, I got a stationary bike at lunch instead of going to the gym, because God forbid that's closed too. I have to ride the stationary bike, and that's way worse than going to the gym. Is it actually? It's a personal hell. <laughs> yeah, no. It, well, it's cardio. Cardio is the personal hell. I was telling Ryan when I walked in here today, I went for a run outside. Yeah, I usually don't make friends with you people. I Oh, I hated every second of it. It was like minus four degrees out. My lungs hurt. My legs hurt. And I'm like, why am I doing this? Oh, right. I don't have anything better to do because the kids are still sleeping. That's, uh, I'm going to get there soon. Once the weather gets a little bit warmer, I'm probably going to get there soon. As soon as the golf courses are warm enough to be functional, I will be there every day. Have you seen what they're doing where you have to like pay in advance, yep. no carts, no rakes in the pit, and they're pulling the uh, the cups out, so you just have to like doink the cup instead of letting a ball drain, and then that counts? I have heard about that, but a lot of the courses around here have done that. You have to pay online. Yeah, and I think that makes sense. People don't rake the bunkers anyway. They're all scum. Yeah. So why would you even need a rake? <laughs> Uh, I thought the pulling the cups out, like, I think that's good because that's no different than like going out for a walk, which I think people should be doing regardless. Pulling the cups out? Yeah, like pulling it out so like the actual physical like cup that catches the ball and like the hole in the ground. You're not putting the ball into an actual hole. You're just uh, trying to like doink it. And as long as it doesn't bounce like th- more than three feet away from the flag, they'll count that as a sunk putt. Weird. But if you like it bounces way back at you, obviously would have missed yeah. the hole. That's weird. Yeah, well, it's a weird time. Uh, on this episode, we're not just going to talk about how bored we are, because I'm sure you have plenty of that in your life. We actually have a very fun interview today with Will Scouch of Scouching, which we'll get into in a moment, where we're going to be talking all things 2020 NHL Draft, t- date TBD, um, our attendance TBD, depending on if it's going to be happening in person TBD. Uh, we will take a look at another prospect profile, and then we'll do a fun little exercise that I asked these guys to prepare for, and they promptly told me to piss off, so... <laughs> I was busy, man. I had nothing else. I, I had no room in the schedule this morning. Right. I had all the time in the world to drop notes for everything we had to do today. How Did you drop notes, Brad? Not. There's not a word in there. <laughs> that being said, I did read about four articles on both topics. Okay. You, I just can't be bothered to take notes because I wouldn't read them anyway. And then, and then we'll head into overtime. You ever read my writing? I'd rather fucking die. I have read your writing once, and I actually did die. It was tragic. Yeah. My family was very upset, but they understood when they saw your writing. Yeah, no. It's uh, Crystal always described my writing as, take your good hand, break it, take your bad hand, 
also break that and then try writing with that hand. <laughs> Crystal's brutal, man. Oh, yeah. Do you know how many times she's uttered the phrase, this is what I'm writing on the divorce papers? <laughs> Every Each one more justified than the last. People think I'm mean to you. Oh, that, yeah. That's the problem. We're getting new listeners, and they're coming into this with just, like, Evan and I railing you. Oh, sorry, that, that came out. <laughs> <laughs> Not railing anybody. <laughs> no, social distancing. Evan and I just railing against you, like, unrelently, like relentlessly, and uh, they don't realize the precursor of all of this, our original years, where it was you against us, like, making fun of No, actually, I think we made it fun of Brad from the start. Maybe we are the, yeah, are no, we you the met, bad guys? You met Crystal and then Crystal went, yeah, no, he's awful. And then you guys just kind of went in on it. I think it's fair. Still. I blame Crystal for all of this, really. The uh, podcast. It's, it's funny, though. She actually showed me an article. I think it was literally yesterday where she's like, oh, my God, we make sense now. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And the whole premise of the articles was couples who just like shit on each other relentlessly stay together longer because like they can actually take a sense of humor. Oh, well, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yes. I might have a fighting chance here. And with that, we're going to head over to our interview with Will Scouch of Scouching to talk. How's about, that for transition? Hell yeah. Fuck talk yeah. about draft prospects and nothing else. Enjoy. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Uh, very exciting interview with Will Scouch of Scouching. Uh, Will, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks, guys. It's uh, it's great to finally meet you. Yeah. is uh, Am I pronouncing that right? Scouching or am I just reading? Oh, yeah. Okay, perfect. Nope. So, uh, Will, talk to us a little bit about what scouting is and what you do. So, yeah, so I started, the whole point really is to find a bridge between sort of the traditional sort of eye test scouting world that a lot of people live in and the sort of data analysis part of it. Because I don't think, you know, I came in thinking you couldn't do a data-based analysis of the draft uh, and just sort of follow it by gospel. Uh, but it does, I thought there was a, a lack of that study on that side of the game. So I tried to sort of explore it a little bit and try to find any sort of value that there might be later on in the draft, especially. Um, I've always been the guy that, you know, knows everyone who every team picked and like my entire life has been, oh my God, you know, so-and-so was drafted to somewhere and, and, and it was always very much focused on the future. And I've just always been that kind of a person, been always thinking years in advance and, and trying to get ahead of where the game is going um, and trying to identify, you know, okay, so these players are doing things in junior that, you know, if they were to translate to the NHL might be really interesting to see, um, you know, all kinds of different stuff. And, and it's just really nice to see what young people uh, can do when they show a tremendous amount of talent in, in the sport. So I'm trying to bridge the gap between sort of the, the, the data and the eye test and I it, I have a giant data sheet that has hundreds and hundreds of, of, of draft eligible prospects uh, and then on top of that I track data so I watch seven games per player just track the actual things the player is doing on the ice and try to form a much more concrete report on that player and then turn that into a YouTube video so I've recently started doing that and I think that doing the YouTube thing is kind of when I started taking this really seriously. And it's been a year and a bit, I think, and it's been a, a pretty good ride so far. Well, uh, good news for you is that people are flipping their attention to the draft pretty early this season uh, for yep. reasons unbeknownst to all of us. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
And it is an exciting draft for a lot of different teams, uh, specifically um, Red Wings fans. So all of you listening are uh, laughing because that's the most obvious statement of the day. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this top five or six in this year's draft. Um, foregoing the obvious that uh, Lafreniere is first overall, is this a more um, deep draft in terms of potential game-breaking talent being available within the top five? Or are there a specific set of players that you would classify as these could be franchise players. It's interesting. I think when you look at the data side of it, um, it, it's interesting when you look at the data side of it because it is impossible to refute that that there's a lot of of really really high end from a data perspective high end talent available, uh, especially at the top end of the draft. You know, there are probably I'd say ten players that in any other given year would be in this sort of top three grouping um, that you often see, you know, there's always two or three or four guys that are kind of the, the cream of the crop that you could say. And this year, you know, yeah, you've got Lafreniere. Yeah. You've got Quentin Byfield, but I would say the top 10 picks are all real high end options. And some of that is because there's a lot of older players in that group. There just happens to be a few players that are, that are born in September and October that are almost eligible for last year's draft. But you know, at the same time, it, the draft class is what it is. And, you know, the thing that's really impressive to me about the top 10 is that there's all different kinds of players. And if you want a really high end player of a certain style, you can basically have your pick. I personally feel that from three to 10, you could reorder that group in any order you want, depending on what team you were. And it would make sense in a way. So if you want someone who is focused on offense, scoring goals, then a guy like Alexander Holtz is probably one of the better goal scorers, shooters, goal scorers, whatever you want to call it, that that has come around in a little while. But if you want maybe more of an all-around offensive player that, you know, could use some work in his own end, but is no slouch, you know, someone like Cole Perfetti might be an option. Or if you're one of these sort of more old school, you know, I want someone refined who won't screw up, you know, really underrated offensive ability but more about the defensive refinement maybe an Anton Lindell is your guy uh if you want a potential franchise goaltender that you know everyone seems to miss when they don't have Yaroslav Askarov could be the third name off the board this year for all we know it's and it wouldn't and it wouldn't surprise me you know if you really feel that he's your best chance at having a goaltender that can save you multiple games a year for 10 years that might be the guy that you pick at three and say, thank God we did that, even though we would love to have a Jamie Drysdale or a Marco Rossi or whoever. Um, that's what's kind of fascinating to me about this year's draft. And and for any team in that range, I've been telling them, you know, look, you're going to get a good player one way or the other. One of the fascinating parts about the top 10 of this draft, too, is that how varied the locations of the prospects are. Because mm-hmm. last year it was very usntdp and whl heavy in the towards the top end of that draft this year uh you've got the ohl represented uh the del the shl the finnish liga um a russian goalie in the mix as well what have you found have been some of the cooler side effects when trying to compare uh, an elite group of talent like these guys who are all playing in vastly different leagues and vastly different roles yeah, so that's where things get a little tough. Uh, and especially now that we won't have the under 18 and that Anton Lundell, for example, wasn't at the World Juniors because he was hurt. Um, you know, the Ottawa 67s didn't let Marco Rossi go to Austria or either that or he chose not to go. 
Um, but you know, these players, a lot of them were at the world juniors and, and did show something, but again, you can't use that as a real good way of evaluating first time draft eligibles in, in my opinion, because there's just so much noise and, and it depends on usage and all that. And I don't, but the, the under 18s are a much better gauge and that's not happening this year. Um, so you kind of have to watch these players play and, and understand that, you know, like one thing I've really tried to do for myself over the last couple of years is understand based on the data, what is really the difference between sort of North American hockey, junior hockey in North America and Canada versus, you know, pro men's hockey overseas. And you kind of have to watch how the players play and, and then a, B it with, you know, while watching an NHL game. So one thing that's kind of interesting for me is watching an NHL game, say on a Saturday night, And then after that game is over, going and tracking a game or two before I go to bed and then trying to sort of see, okay, I just finished watching an NHL game and, you know, and now I'm watching a totally different league in Germany or or, or, uh, Finland. And it's also interesting to see what the maybe NHL, former NHL talents that have then gone over to those leagues and how they have played there. Because then you can say, you know, um, Lucas Raymond is playing with so-and-so who used to play in the NHL. And Lucas Raymond leaves him in the dust three times a game. It's like, well, then you can kind of have a decent gauge of, okay, here's a 17-year-old who can at least keep up with an, a former NHL player, and and they're 17. So over time, that should ideally improve. Um, but there are certain things about the game that I think that, ha- that have a big difference between especially Europe and European pro leagues and North America. Like European pro leagues, you have way more space, more time to make decisions, uh, it's definitely a little bit sloppier. They think I think that there's a lot less focus on sticking to structure. There's clearly tactical structures and systems in which you play, but it seems like it's not you know real pinpoint hockey like the NHL kind of needs to be. Uh, the speed of the NHL is still unparalleled. It's still you know opponents are giving you less and less time to make decisions and less and less time to you know, less and less time to waste until you're pinned against the boards and trying to battle out along the boards. Um, so you need to make decisions really, really quickly, or at least be able to have resiliency to hold on to pucks and, and fight through some stuff. And that's where things can get a little tough for young players, especially really skilled, undersized ones. Uh, and you have to sort of take things all into consideration there, because that's the big thing I notice is the pace of play is very, very different. Uh, and the overall, I guess, consistency of quality so connecting on all your passes not lobbing pucks up the middle of the ice from your own zone if you're a defenseman um you know all those little things that in the nhl fans will absolutely kill you for uh that that happens quite a bit elsewhere outside of the nhl and you kind of have to notice and 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 figure out how to improve on that with with those cases because it's especially common overseas from what i've seen so sticking with overseas, because I'm glad you got on that, because one fascinating comparison that I found has been happening in this draft is uh, two guys that are in contention for third overall would be um, Tim Stutzla and Lucas Raymond. Stutzla is getting big minutes, um, power play time, and playing a key role uh, for Mannheim in the DEL, whereas Lucas Raymond is playing, in a lot of cases, almost half the minutes, but on his top team in a much stronger league if you were to put your gm hat on where would your preference where would you be more comfortable drafting a player a situation like a lucas raymond who's performing decent to all right 
on a very strong team in a very limited role or a player like Stutzla who's playing in a lesser league in a big role but is excelling in that role? Sure. So that's a good question. And I, you know, I, to plug myself, just finished my first report of the year and it was on Lucas Raymond. So the, the on YouTube, if you, you know, search Lucas Raymond and scouting, it'll pop up. Um, it, it, it re- I really wanted to see Lucas Raymond play as much as I could, uh, because, because people were writing him off because of his point totals and, you know, people were kind of writing him off because they were seeing other players really exploding on the score sheet, especially a Stutzla. So I really wanted to take a look at exactly what was going on on the ice because the data that I was looking at, his possession numbers, his defensive metrics, they were all really, really good for a young player, especially on that team in that league. And, you know, I wanted to really get a good read on what was going on. And I've done the same. So Tim Stutzel is a guy that is, there will be a report on him coming. I just need to finish all the tracking work for him. And in a lot of different metrics, the two of them match up about the same. Um, there are some things that say Stutzla does a little bit better than Lucas Raymond, but there's also some things that Raymond does that I think are better than Stutzla. And this is where we get into really, I wouldn't call it splitting hairs, but definitely a lot more, um, a lot more, you don't like, you don't, there's a lot more of the, what will happen after the players drafted kind of thing going on. You know, how are you going to deploy the player in the NHL? What kind of skills do you want to help them develop? Because I think you could look at a Tim Stutzler right now and say in five years, yeah, he might be a better player, especially offensively than someone like a Lucas Raymond. But at the same time, Lucas Raymond is such a great little things player. Um, you know, he does those things that I think coaches really, really like. And I think that the the thing they're putting him through with Frolunda this year has been, we're going to give you more limited minutes because we're going to throw you out there so that you can, you know, learn more competent defensive play, learn how to play hard every shift, learn how to earn your minutes. Um, because he's one of these guys who's been, you know, gifted everything his whole life, basically from junior hockey level. He's, he's a, a superstar in junior hockey in, in, in Sweden already. Uh, and now he's being put in a more, I guess, challenging situation for him. And, and from what I've seen of him and what I've tracked of him, he looks great. Uh, whereas Tim Stutzla is like the golden boy in, in Germany. So they're letting him go and they've been giving him more and more time and he's really earned it because he is one of the better players on, on his team in Mannheim. Uh, and I'm looking at the data I've tracked on both of them. You know, they're both very, very good possession drivers. Both leagues tend to take a lot of shots from low danger areas. But when those guys are on the ice, that doesn't happen. They're controlling 70% or more of the medium and high danger chances they're getting. Um, you know, they're not necessarily getting to the front of the net. I don't think either of those guys necessarily have the strength on their feet or the confidence in a pro league yet to really, really push into high danger areas. But Tim Stutzla is shooting from medium danger areas 83% of the time, which is a lot. Uh, whereas Lucas Raymond was around 56. So Sweden does play a physical style of game. And they I've seen in Sweden, you know, in the NHL, we complain a lot about how much leeway referees give in terms of physical play and inhibiting play. It happens a lot in Sweden too. There's a lot of that clutch and grab, you know, uh, kind of, kind of play. And in Tim Stutzler's case, He's got a lot of skill. He can go around guys. He's got a lot of speed on him. And so does Raymond. But that's where I think the Swedish league is a step ahead of the German league. There's a lot more mobility in Sweden. There's a lot more speed. Uh, they don't give you as much time to think. Whereas in Germany, you know, it's not an easy league for sure. And we're seeing with someone like like Moritz Sider translating to North America, 
you know, if you have that mobility and you have that willingness to be aggressive and confident like him and Stutzla has, then you might end up with someone that, that could translate really, really well. Um, even if that league isn't the highest level, it's still not a joke. So again, it's, I tell people it's always case by case and it's like, how does the player play when things are going well? What are they doing when things aren't going well? What's be, what's happening to them? And, and, you know, either of those players, honestly, like, let's say the Red Wings fall to three or four and they're flip-flopping between those two guys. I don't think you could go wrong with either. I lean Lucas Raymond, but only, only very, very slightly because of the offensive potential that Tim Stutzla has shown. Um, but, but Raymond does have that potential. It's just going to be a matter of how patient are you willing to be and how much, you know, how much work do you want to put into developing his strength on his feet? And you know what? At the same time, Tim Stutzla might come over to North America and have similar issues with the physicality and the speed, but I, I don't think that would be a long-term issue for him either. Now, uh, from what I've been able to glean, it seems like you have uh, Lafreniere and then Byfield as your one-two. Uh, yeah. So let's let's assume Detroit falls to four because that's statistically the most likely option there for them. Um, is there a possibility that Marco Rossi, in your eyes, makes a uh, uh, a case for being the best fourth overall pick, assuming one of Stutzla or Raymond are available there as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm more on the Marco Rossi train than most people. Uh, you know, a lot of people in the past have looked at Canadian junior hockey players that put up numbers like he does, um, and the way that he plays. And I mean, if he were six feet tall, I'm pretty sure he'd be in the conversation of a top three pick with. Byfield and Lafreniere like there are numbers where he matches up perfectly with an Alexi Lafreniere and he's not that much older he's a couple of days older uh so when you age adjust things there is evidence that Rossi does you know does surpass or at least meet Alexi Lafreniere and he's a center I think some people are questioning his projectability as a center personally I don't really think that that's a problem uh you know and I think that for Marco Rossi I mean if he were, you know, if it were any other year and he was putting up the numbers that he was putting up and considering he plays in a North American major junior league, the fact that he would be considered anything but at least a top five pick in this year's draft seems a little bit crazy to me at this point. Uh, and, and and I have him ranked at number three ahead of Raymond and Stutzlo because he's a natural center. I think he projects as a center. He's incredible in open ice. He's great at both ends of the ice, which is something you don't often see, especially with undersized players. Uh, and it isn't that he's extremely physical. It's more that he knows how to anticipate play. He knows how to back check and help out his defenseman really, really well. He has really nice mobility to move pucks out of his own zone. You know, he's a really, really good passer, really creative in the offensive zone. Like he just, he's one of these guys where every time I'm watching him play, almost every shift, there's something he's doing that's worth taking a video of and saving for later you know he, he he's just doing all kinds of things really really well and again when you we go back to that 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 discussion about you know pro leagues versus north america yeah maybe marco rossi in sweden or germany if he were playing there it might be a different story but i still believe that when you look at how he plays the game on a north american ice sheet and has done so for the last two years he's right up there and if the discussion came down with you're the Red Wings at fourth overall and you had to pick between say Rossi and Raymond I'd probably go with Marco Rossi but that's because he's more like I I can I have seen what he's capable of he's basically in my opinion ready to go 
Uh, I don't know what else he has to do in the OHL moving forward. Um, whereas with Lucas Raymond, you know, I don't know if he'll need another year in Sweden, but I don't think he'll be an effective NHL player tomorrow in terms of registering points or, or anything, but he will, I think he would fit in, but I don't think he would be this like world ending NHL player right away. Uh, Marco Rossi, I could see fitting in and being a good NHL, you know, third line center with maybe some power play usage thrown in on, on the wing, maybe, or something. I, I could see that being a benefit. It would be a discussion that I would be more than willing to have, um, and I, I I do believe that that Marco Rossi still is pretty underrated by some who might have him outside the top five. Well, that's um, that was a, a fantastic answer because it basically just spurred months more of discussion for us because we're currently in the midst of you know Rossi Raymond or Stutzla as well, and so I thought you had that uh, pinned down with Raymond over Stutzla there, but uh, coming in with Rossi above uh, both of them, understanding that you're you know it's all very fluid, uh, kind of adds more fuel to the fire. But hey. All we're going to need is content for the next few months. That's <laughs> true. Appreciated. It's true. Now, uh, an unfortunate circumstance of all of this is that um, incredible players like, you know, Anton Lindell or Jamie Drysdale kind of get pushed out of the discussion when you're talking about top four, or top five. But that's all, you know, projection. And mm-hmm. with the uh, tendency for defensemen to rise draft over draft, do you see Jamie Drysdale having that same kind of meteoric rise into the top five? And how does he match up to uh, top defensemen of the past, Makars, Heiskanen's, etc.? Sure. So I absolutely would, you know, if in situations like this question, I always, I always think about it like I'm a team at the draft. And if I'm the Red Wings at say fourth overall, and you, you know, I look at the, I look at the Red Wings prospect class or whatever they've got. And, you know, the thing is, he is the defenseman. I, I don't think there's a single other defenseman available in this year's draft that really is as much of a threat to be a great two-way player with offensive upside as Drysdale does. I, I really, really don't think that there's a single one uh, that even comes close. I think that there's the potential for other ones to maybe be that down the road. Guys like Jake Sanderson, maybe a William Wallander, Jeremy Poirier could all, I think, eventually be a, be players that maybe could play with Jamie Drysdale and be that kind of a threat. But the fact that it's basically Jamie Drysdale and that's it for right now, he could be the third guy called this, 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 whenever the draft is, I don't know. It, it could entirely happen. I don't think I would do that. I really do like Jamie Drysdale. I love his sort of two way game. Uh, I love his mobility around the ice. He's not, uh, you know, people have asked me about, Oh, how does he compare to Bowen Byram or, uh, or any of those, like you said, top defensemen of the past, guys like Quinn Hughes uh, or Kale McCarr. And I think he's a bit of a different breed. I don't. He's not a physical shutdown guy either, but he does fit this sort of mold of a. He he has great mobility around the ice, but it's not. He's not an attacking defenseman. So guys like Kale McCarr, uh, Bowen Byram, maybe even Quinn Hughes from time to time. These guys are more focused on attacking the middle of the ice, sort of attacking the net. Um, you know, pushing pucks into dangerous areas, you know, really trying to push, push, push all the time. Whereas Jamie Drysdale is a little bit more patience to him, um, you know, in a sense that he's, he lets sort of play happen and he just sort of contributes whenever he can with his exceptional mobility. I think there's some parts of his game that I think will need to take some time to develop, especially in terms of defensive urgency, I guess I would call it. He can take a bit of too much time to 
retrieve loose pucks or, or retrieve dumped in pucks and, and it causes really aggressive wingers to get a, an extra step or two on them. But that doesn't happen super often. That's something that I think you refine over time. Uh, I love how he skates around the ice. I thought at the World Juniors, all things being considered, he was a pretty solid contributor. Um, not a tremendous amount of usage, but when you view what he was doing on the ice, I thought he looked fine. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be really interesting to see where he goes. I certainly wouldn't think it was out of the question to see him go as high as three. I think teams go, we should probably take a defenseman because you always wish you had really good ones and he's a good one. So it's perfectly reasonable to think. I personally don't find that. I think that my strategy is you have to think about it year over year. Like one thing I do in my work is track, uh, since I'm from Toronto, I basically track who I would have picked at various Toronto Maple Leafs picks over the years. So I've done it since 2015. Uh, and, you know, to- and I usually trend away from thinking about defensemen and, or forwards or centers or whatever at, at whatever picks. And when I look at the roster of guys that I would have selected, I'm not really looking at it going, man, I should have taken more defensemen. Man, I should have taken more forwards. Maybe a couple of more defensemen based on what I'm looking at. But at the same time, <laughs> it kind of tends to work itself out over time if you kind of just take the best players available. Um, so it, it kind of depends on the year, but but I would be open to having the discussion, but especially after fifth overall, after the, for me, Rossi, Raymond, Stutzla are gone, six, seven, eight is right where I would be pushing for Drysdale in terms of his value on paper. And if people want to, push him higher because he's a defenseman and because of how well refined he is uh, in terms of how intelligent he can be, then I could have that discussion, but I certainly wouldn't be on the side of pushing him much higher than, than six, I would say. Well, Ryan brought up the topic of Drysdale rising and I kind of want to stay on the topic, but in a more broader sense. So a funny thing happened with the Red Wings and with this podcast specifically over the last couple drafts. Um, in 2019, we talked about the Red Wings possibly selecting Mo Sider. In 2018, we talked about the Red Wings possibly selecting Joe Valeno. We thought maybe Sider would slip to the second round, and we thought maybe the Red Wings would toy with the idea of picking a center at six. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it worked out a little differently because obviously with a guy like Sider, he was in a unique circumstance that scouts didn't know how to fully approach a a top-end young defenseman playing limited minutes in a relatively unscouted league for this draft because the DEL never really had a ton of 17-year-olds in it before. Sure. Are there two prospects that could go in either direction this draft because that you think are undervalued because of their situation or overvalued because of their situation? Well, uh, I'm just going to pull up the uh, Red Wings entry draft board based on what they've got. But anyway, uh, there are I, – I, every year there always is. Last year, Ryan Suzuki was the guy that just plummeted for me. Uh, I really, really love Ryan Suzuki. He fell way too far, I thought. Uh, and I think the Hurricanes got a pretty darn good player with that pick. Uh, like you said, with Mort Sider, he was drafted a lot higher than I would probably have taken him. Um, and I'm you know, still of the belief that there were players on the board that – I probably would think are are better, uh, but he's not a bad player. People tend to mistake in those two things. Um, and with Joe Valeno, yeah, he fell way too far. And this year, I look at someone like a Noel Gundler as a guy who I think could very well be in that ten to fifteen range. Someone, t- someone you know, is willing to take the chance on someone that people think is polarizing. 
sure, I could see that happening. Similar to someone like a Ryan Suzuki last year or a Joe Valeno when he fell to, to, to in 2018. But if he's a guy that starts slipping, I've seen some people without him in the first round at all. And if he's a guy that starts slipping and he gets into the 20s and, God forbid, the 30s, then that's a player that if, you know, if things break right for the Red Wings with their second round pick might be able to snag just on a pure value uh, perspective. You know, that that's one name that I think could could jump up a bit. Another one, I think, might be Dylan Holloway. He's older for the draft class, um, played as a freshman in college. I've seen some people start bumping him down the rankings a little bit because his production wasn't necessarily where people expected, especially coming off of a massive year in the Alberta Junior League last year. But he's a guy that I think that, you know, if you pick, if you pick him 10th or 11th overall, that might be a little bit high for me. But if that's a player that starts slipping, I don't think it's going to happen. But, you know, he might be one of these guys that um, people are skeptical of because of his production and Wisconsin as a whole wasn't great. Uh, I, I pro- probably wouldn't fall under that perspective. Um, and another one, just to throw this one out there, I mean, Jeremy Poirier is a guy that there's tons and tons and tons of potential. But in my work this year has been one of the most frustrating players to watch in the entire draft um he's a defenseman who has all the potential in the world on paper to be just as good i think at least in that attacking defenseman standpoint like a bowen byram just as good as say a jamie drysdale in terms of value to their team but he's not going to get there playing the way he's playing now and you're going to have to really sort of change the way he approaches the way he attacks with the puck and if teams are kind of skeptical and kind of scared of that and there's a few other more well-refined defensemen like, say, a Jake Sanderson uh, that they do want to take a jump on or take a leap of faith on. Then maybe you could see a Poirier start slipping um, and maybe he's a guy that slips out of the first round. I've seen some people that are so skeptical on him that, that they wouldn't use a first round pick on him. Um, so I don't know. And in terms of guys that could really jump up that that i think people aren't really paying attention to i mean centers and defensemen i mean name your favorite right uh guys like connor zari could be a guy that goes really really high he puts up great numbers he's that anton lundell type of refined centered isn't doing a tremendous amount with the puck on his own but he he's a real no bs player good at both ends of the ice uh, knows how to make the simple play, but can also make a complicated play to put the puck in the net. So he might be a guy that that really shoots up at the at the draft, especially when some of the other centers ahead of him, like say a Jacob Perot or a Maverick Bork or even a Dylan Holloway, might be a little bit more inconsistent, or people might legitimately be more skeptical. Um, so there, it, it's going to be really interesting. And the other wild card is that we don't know when the draft is, and we don't know how thinking is going to change when these guys aren't even playing between now and whenever the draft is. So we could see a lot of changes between now and then when people start catching up on old tape, I guess. And uh, one one last specific question here before we let you go, and I, I know there's you kind of touched on this already, ignoring the kind of outliers, the more outsiders jumping into the first round or the Joe Valeno's falling to pick 30, um, are there specific second round picks where you think they're going to stay in like the 25 to 55 range that Red Wings fans should be looking for? With the caveat that there's no way anyone can predict where anyone's specifically going to go, especially like you just said, things can change a lot between now and then. But pretty much guys where Red Wings fans who uh, are tired of just looking at those top five players and want to see what's possible for them uh, with their second picks. Yeah, I I think with the Red Wings, I mean, again, it's hard to know because, you know, Steve Eisenman's drafting record with Tampa Bay, for example, it wasn't 
it wasn't bad at all. It just, it was kind of hard to get a read on exactly what type of players they were looking for. It looks like they looked for a bit of everything. And the good thing is with three second round picks this year, I don't think any of these are conditional. They're all here. Uh, you've got three second round picks, likely one right at the top end of the draft. Well, you know where one is. And then the other two, probably in the 50 to 60 range, you, you know, you're looking at potentially, in my opinion, some very, very good players in that range. I'd say from this, in this draft, from about 20 to 60, is just like the top 10 you could you could take a guy ranked at 58 on my list bump them all the way up to 25 and i'd be like okay like that's a perfectly reasonable thing to to do um you know but and through that i think though some really really good players are going to slip so if you're at 32 uh someone available likely at 32 that might be a good pick if you want to take a risk, someone like a Jean-Luc Foudy, who has been hurt a little bit, his production hasn't been great, but there's a ton of potential there with him as a center. Really, really quick up the middle. You know, if you really like that Dylan Larkin style sort of speed up the middle type player, Foody is one that, that you might take a look at. Uh, another one I'm looking at for maybe later in the second round, Alex Poshin, who's a really small but really, really skilled uh, Russian winger. He's, you know, I think he's only five foot eight, but I mean, every time I've watched that guy play, he's extremely crafty. One of the quick, some of the quickest hands in the draft, uh, really dangerous all around offensive game. And, and I think that, you know, he's been a little bit snake bitten offensively, even as he's put up pretty good numbers and he's very young for this year's draft class. Uh, and last I checked central scouting had him 26th ranked in Europe. So if he's a guy that you could get before anyone else with that 50 to 62 range picks that Detroit has, he might be a, a good swing to take. Uh, other names in that range that I have really, really like, Yoni Yermo is a big defenseman from from Finland who not many people are really talking about. I saw a post on Rinkside about him. Um, you know, in my opinion, considering his size, he's one of the best skating defensemen in the whole draft. Uh, definitely needs some refinement. Definitely a bit of a slow burn. Might be a guy that goes to the NCAA like an anti-Tuomisto. And if the Red Wings liked what they saw out of an anti-Tuomisto and want something maybe a little bit different that might enable Tuomisto to play a little bit more of his style of game, which is more aggressive, shot-focused. Uh, Yoni Yermo is much more of a puck-moving, puck-transitioning, uh, really excellent skating two-way guy, and that might be a player that in the second round might be worth taking. I would not be surprised to see him get taken pretty high in the second round just because of how how big he is and how efficiently he gets around the ice, but he should be available in that 50 to 60 range, and he might be another one. Um, and staying with that sort of European theme, I mean, if Steve Eisenman wants a more physical, sort of old school, quote unquote, type player that can still play hockey, guys like Daniel Torgerson, who plays with Frölunda, could be a really good pickup. He was extremely good with a really, really good team in Frölunda this year uh, in the junior league. He managed to get himself up to um, the big boy team this year, played some decent minutes. Uh, and I've seen all the minutes he's played in the Swedish Hockey League. He does not look out of place there. He's a big, strong guy, uh, really good shot on him, gets to dangerous areas. And he's, you know, when he parks him in front of the net, he's really nasty to deal with. That sort of, to use a Red Wings thing that everyone uses over and over again, he has that sort of Thomas Holmstrom style, park yourself in front of the net, get the dirty goals, but also away from the net, you're not, you know, useless. You know, he's a very, very good player overall. Uh, who definitely plays sort of a very translatable game. And he might be maybe a lower ceiling type player, but based on the numbers and based on what I've seen of him, it's it's really hard to discount him, especially as a 5v5 player. All right, excellent. Thank you so much, Will. Uh, we are going to let you go and enjoy 
um, what I'm sure is a busy day at home with the rest of us. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, always, every day. Uh, everyone, this has been Will Scouch of Scouching. You can find him on Twitter at Scouching. Um, he also has a YouTube channel. Uh, just look up Scouching and a Patreon as well. Uh, he does some amazing work. We personally love to follow him, and he's one of the resources that we use when we do our draft scouting. Uh, so we encourage you to go check him out. Will, thank you so much, and uh, we're excited to have you back on again sometime soon. Oh, yeah, great, guys. Anytime. And we're back. That was our interview with Scouching. Uh, great insight from him. And again, go check him out. Uh, just look up Scouching on YouTube. Some great work. He already has his one um, analysis piece on Lucas Raymond out. And Tim Stutzels is coming out soon. And more in the future, obviously. Uh, a lot of good content came from that. For a second there, Brad, I thought we had an answer to our Stutzler Raymond Rossi question. And it turns out we do not. No, we absolutely do not. But it's good for content. Oh, we've got stuff to talk about now for the next two weeks to six months. Which is about the range that we're going to be social distancing. So just. Yeah. Um, I really thought for a long time, or I, I thought that this would be our first like solid dissenting opinion from the Rossi could go as high as three train. But this is yet another uh, smart professional voice that's looking into this and saying, no, like, this is not something that should be overlooked. It's not just because he's older and been playing in the O longer. Marco Rossi is a very real pick if you want a centerman who can do everything. And he's has the numbers to back it up. And the only big like if he was taller, this wouldn't even be a question. So does that at all give you the thought that you would take him third overall above both Stutzla and Raymond? Would I consider it? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I think this might be the first draft where there's three or four guys that the Red Wings could take, assuming the pick is fourth overall, and I actually would not be upset. I if if the Red Wings get fourth overall, there's literally I think where I could say four names and I'm like legitimately truly happy. Stutzla, Rossi, Raymond, for sure. Yes. I would honestly, and I understand how it doesn't make sense based on, you know, right-handed defenseman and what the Red Wings need, but I still wouldn't be upset with Jamie Drysdale. Neither would I. That's a good position to be in. Now, just the question of when is the draft going to be? You ever think that we're focusing so hard on this number four pick, we're going to do what we did last year with Cider and just, like, ignore Lafreniere into existence? Probably. I mean, uh, uh, not probably. Oh, yeah, we haven't barely talked. We barely talked about Alexi Lafreniere. We spent all this time on Schutzel and Raymond. So, ha, screw those guys. We're no, giving them Lafreniere. No, he's going to Ottawa because this whole season ended at the perfect point where Ottawa had the second and third best odds. And now they have, what, a 25% chance? No, I told you there is no time for a draft lottery. You can't even risk the contagion spreading in that. We're just going to have to go reverse standings order we just have to there's no lottery congrats detroit on your first overall pick we've been getting actual questions about that and like it's just not put, actually, it's not actually it's not happen. actually gonna happen they'll do like i think the most common sense thing is you do the standings by win percentage just to balance out the games played and then you run the lottery as is right now although with some of the ideas that are going around um this whole let's look for silver linings in a pandemic thing might actually be happening for the red wings because there's a reality in which the NHL resumes in a 2014 playoff, which means there's a reality that the other seven teams who don't get to participate get boosted lottery odds because they're not in the playoffs. And because of all the con- uh, how everything needs to be condensed in the complications, there might be compliance buyouts. 
Could you imagine if the Red Wings get boosted lottery odds and a compliance buyout out of this? Oh, I would be thrilled. Even if that boosted lottery odd turns into like a second overall pick. Hell yeah. Imagine, like seriously, by the time October rolls around, we could have Quentin Byfield and no Justin Applicator. Okay, uh, here's a hypothetical for both of you. Which would you rather choose? Um, if, if it's the buyout or the prospect, I'm taking the prospect, Ryan. You know this. Would you rather choose getting uh, Lafreniere and no buyouts or Quentin Byfield and being able to buy out Abdelkader and Nielsen? Give me Lafreniere. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to make it interesting, but maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm, I'm not as smart as I don't think I am. Um, okay. Yes. Which, which leads... <laughs> Brad's brain just wrinkled. <laughs> He's like, wait, hold on. Carry the two. Wait. Uh, leads into our next topic. What is your... And this is a question I posed to you guys before. What is your most creative read. solution? Yeah, I know. Most creative solution to the league resuming, how they finish this season and run next, assuming they come back in June. Creative or likely? Yeah, whichever one you want to answer, because there's no way you have answers. Okay, so I'm gonna I'll give you both because the, they're pretty simple answers. Like this is one of those things where I, I think it's gonna come down to just don't overthink it, especially if we're resuming in June. If it's June, the the correct answer here would probably just be all right. Regular season's over. We're going on points percentage, full 16 team playoffs, best of five series, and just kind of condense the games as best you can, and then resume everything as normal in late September. Because you could probably bang that off by the end of August and give them a month off still. And before anybody says, you can't have one month for the offseason. Well, yeah, they would go three months with nothing right now. I think that's more than fair. Or if you really want to get creative and weird. And let's say it goes late and we're starting this July 1st. 16 team, or you could even go 31 with a buy. Straight up March Madness. Oh, you would see riots. Yes, but that would be the most entertaining hockey we've ever seen in our entire lives. One game elimination for the cup. That's too wild for the NHL. Boston gets a pass because there's only 31, gets a bye because there's only 31 teams. Everybody else goes into it. Detroit's even in it. Can you imagine Detroit knocks off? Who's second in the NHL right now? Washington? Or Tampa, could one you, of the two. Could you imagine Detroit knocking them off? The record books would be forever askew. There would be a permanent asterisk. I don't know. If, I love chaos. I don't even know if I would love that. I think that's too much for even Jeff Merrick. I think Jeff would call you crazy for that one. And I'm here for it. But no, in reality, I think it's just going to be points percentage, regular season, a brief, like full playoffs, but a best of three to best of five series is the likely with like, literally you're rolling every other night. We don't care if Vancouver is playing St. Louis. You're going every other night. And even with a bunch of back-to-backs hypothetically, I think you're right in that you don't, the league shouldn't overthink it. I yeah, think this whole 24, it's, it's ridiculous. Why would Munch, the Montreal Canadians who have been objectively terrible this year, lost four games to the Detroit Red Wings are currently sitting 24th in the NHL why why should they even be in this if you have if if you really want 82 game next 82 game season next year which is what the league has said is a priority and i get that from a revenue standpoint then you really have to shorten this season so i think you do a limited play in as needed for teams on the fringe like the Florida Toronto or or whatever else is happening at the wild card in either conference and i don't know specifically what that looks like and then you either do 
only from the second round onwards or the first two rounds are best of five before moving to best of seven. And then you start next season late and then you end next season late before resuming some kind of normalcy. That's the only solution I can think of that preserves the 82 game season. And this is the scenarios too, where like a week make to two weeks makes a difference. Cause if you start June 15th versus June 30th, yeah, you could probably do best of sevens then. But if we're starting June 30th, that's no longer an option. You have to condense more. So it's, it's really hard to even say because when in June, assuming it is June that we get restarted, that's still going to be like, and that's like, that's like every week makes a huge difference on what the op- as to what the options are. That is a huge guess too. You look at some epidemiological reports that might be optimistic. Like if they're playing in June, it is with some kind of special clearance and with empty arenas. So it's kind of out of nowhere. They're playing in Jim's driveway. Big driveway, Jim. Yeah, the, the I think the three frameworks are you do nothing, you you don't play. That's you know radical, but that's option one, and you just restart next year. Everything's back, eighty-two games as normal. Option two is you condense, and then however that works, and then option three would be you mitigate the lost time over seasons. You just slowly like break it down. Yeah. So let's say, okay, we're going to fit it in this year, but next year we're only going to play 72 games. And then after that, we'll play 72 games and then 72 games and it'll eventually normalize itself. That's 30 lost games, but it would allow you to maximize playoff revenue. Um, You do lose some, but I would imagine money from the 10 lost games, but I imagine demand for pro sports will be incredibly high so ticket prices and and whatnot will help mitigate that a little bit but the economy is going to be way yeah because like even yeah but what about my stocks <laughs> my bud light um, but no like in in legitimately though it is got to be a concern for the nhl because if like my, my company's fully shut down right now too like if i get laid off for the next six months i promise you i'm not going to have money to go to a red wings game in october I go to three, four games a year. I will not be going to any next year if, if I ain't working. Like that's just the reality of it, right? Because it'll it'll separate the class, like the class. Oh yeah, the class disparity is going to get classes. big. Um, and I, it's it, we're looking at this at a, at a sort of in a vacuum, looking at how pro sports will work, but everything will be affected. So the amount of people spending money on luxury items. Uh, will definitely decrease. Um, I think Evan's on the right track with the delayed, with the condensing of everything, but I think they'll condense the off season, not the season. So let's say they can't start next season till throw a dart mid-November because they're not finishing. It's not even that bad, really. No, it's not terrible. And then because let's say that's because they're handing out the Stanley Cup in mid-September, hypothetically, right? Mm. Um. They won't finish a mid-November season in all likelihood then till what? Mid-July? Yeah, but now... But then they can start in, okay, late October the year after that. Exactly. Mid-October and then work it all the way back. So you're still playing 82 every games and the off-seasons progressively get longer and more balanced out, which is and what I think would be more likely than doing a 72-game season. But Another thing they would have to do, they could consider as well as adding more back-to-backs, which... I'm sure a lot of teams and players aren't really a fan of. Mm-hmm. That rest um, week is gone. The rest week will be gone. Good. Um, it it'll be tough. Like 
there's a lot of different ways they could do this. I'm not sure what the right way is. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. And it's it'll be tough. And it'll almost have to be, they'll have to have like 70 different options laid out. All dependent on when the start time is. Because that changes everything. Do your, like... What if they say like what if they say pro sports can't start till November? Like then, what if it's November first? Then you have to cancel the season, right? Like yes, if it goes past, I'll say end of August, the season's done. You're not trying to restart because again, it's not like if they give everybody the green light September first, these players are going to be able to walk in and start playing. It's going to be some two. disgusting beer league <laughs> hockey. Yeah, they're going to need. Time to report, time to get in shape, time to get some practices in, yada, yada, yada. You're not starting till mid-September then. What are you doing then? Like, just, okay, we're going to finish up the regular season and the top two teams play for the cup. <laughs> like Other, and uh, you guys brought this up last episode, some other interesting stipulations is like all these like uh, conditions and contracts, like year two if you hit X amount of goals and like, well, what's next season now technically? Um, oh my God, I to branch on that before you get into it, you want to hear... I didn't even know the number before I looked at it, but remember how I brought up the James Neal Milan Lucic trade? Mm-hmm. Um, it was if Neal scores twenty or more goals and Lucic has to score ten or less. I don't remember the exact numbers. And this is very close, if I'm not exactly right. Neal has nineteen, Lucic has eight. Ugh. So that's a big. Ugh. That's like just straight up a third round pick. It's thrown in there if. Neil scores one more goal. And they're going to fight tooth and nail for that. Yeah. Well, uh, what is it? Jeff Blashill, they have X amount of days after the end of the season before Detroit has to decide whether they want to pick up the fourth year or the last year option on Jeff Blashill's contract. When is the season over? It's already over. Are we rid of it now? What's that date? When is, like, do they, are they going to figure that out? Mind you, my guess is that they're going to pick up Blashill for another season no matter what. (laughs) Brad just tried hissing at me. But <laughs> what do they do here? Is it like the day that the league declares, no, we're canceling the season? Or is it like, what if they choose uh, one of Merrick's ideas where they um, award the cup end of October and they're starting in December? So does Detroit have two weeks to decide whether to pick up Blashill? And if they're not picking him up, they have another two weeks to hire a new coach? Like, Yeah, there's a lot of uh, constraints yeah. to what needs to happen. And I'm very glad I'm not involved in it. This feels like it's going to be a lot of math, which, you know, Evan, that is your department. No, thank you. As as Bob McKenzie said, they told me there wouldn't be any math. Um, Well, there's going to be plenty on that to come. uh, But for now, we are going to get to a quick uh, prospect profile here before heading into overtime. Um, The prospect that Evan loved uh, to bring up last time I thought would be a good one. We we started with uh, Lafreniere and now we're going to go to Jack Quinn. So this will be our prospect profile on... um, Meteoric rise of Jack Quinn. Who wants to start? The, he's the classic case of you can suck all the way up till 15 and still make it. Not that he sucked, but he didn't play a day of AAA hockey until his minor midget year, which was his OHL draft year. Is that? that that's unbelievably rare. That was his first year of trips? He played one year of AAA and then got drafted 39th overall by the Ottawa 67s. That makes a lot of sense. Yep. He was... Um, so I, I read an article after you mentioned that to me that Scott Wheeler wrote on Jack Quinn's meteoric rise, and it's it's fascinating. There's got to be very few, if no, players who have went on his trajectory. He didn't step foot in a gym until he was 15 years old. Zero training. Just played double-A hockey, whatever. 
uh, went up to AAA in his minor midget year, had a good year, got drafted by Ottawa, and got cut by Ottawa his first year. Went and played Junior A instead. Wins Rookie of the Year in his Junior A League. Then finally makes the Ottawa 67s the year after that. Uh, good news and bad news for him that year. Ottawa's loaded. He's not really playing. Still puts up, we'll say, respectable numbers. Ottawa's still good this year, but he worked his way into a role and is now one of, what, two 50-goal scorers in the OHL this year? So mm-hmm. now he is a late birthday, so he is 18 years old. So he is doing this in his third year of OHL eligibility, even though he only played two years because he got cut his first year. Um, but yeah, so went from playing double A hockey and in a span of four years is a 50 goal score and a projected first round pick in the NHL. It's, it's insane. And the reason I was saying that makes sense is because he was pretty much off everyone's first round board, uh, around the beginning of this season when we were starting to look at prospects. He probably wasn't even on a lot of boards at the beginning of this season. Right. Forget first round. And the biggest thing was his skating and, skating is something that can be improved i think there's a lot of granularity there whether it's like skating form versus top end speed i'm not sure how much you can improve your top end speed uh, but you can definitely improve your skating form and that can help bridge the gap between like your full potential and whatnot Um, and his skating improved uh head and shoulders over what it was and it makes sense because if the guy was never in a gym never doing any kind of hockey like dry land or or gym training it didn't play trips until he was 15 16 years old which is extremely late then yeah he's probably gonna have poor technical form for his skating which means it can be improved and that's what it was so that's like that is a really cool trajectory evan you're the jack quinn fan yeah he uh he's a late birthday so that'll hurt him ever so slightly He's got an elite level shot. He's very coachable. He's not very good in his own end, but he's coachable and a good coach, not Blash Hill. We'll get that into him. Um, <laughs> Talk to anybody in the auto organization, though, and they'll uh, refute your not good in his own end theory. Yeah, doesn't he play on the PK? Yeah, they love his defensive play this season. Hmm. He's also put on a ton of weight, and he's still six foot 175. So that gives you an idea of where his physical status was a year ago, where he's put on weight and is six foot. 175 for reference i'm 175 and brad is not six feet tall no, no i am not but that does lead into your coachability statement the fact that he's improved and yeah tall. so there's going to be teams that fall in love with him and he is a, 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 that hot commodity right now just like moritz cider was uh, moving up the draft boards very fast so he could randomly fall into the top 10 maybe mm-hmm. maybe he's a 50 goal scorer which is huge um but yeah there are though i think somebody's gonna reach for him a little bit and he's gonna go earlier than i think I which th- is un- unfortunate because i was really hoping we could either get him very early second or move up and get him late first right well detroit's pick is 30 will be 32nd in the or 32nd overall so the first one of the second round so there's a chance they could move up but, yeah, what you were saying is, is I think, completely correct. Because this is a guy, much like Moritz Sider, whose the spotlight came on him late, exposure to him came late, and there's some questions about his game that he's already shown improvement on. I think you're exactly right. I think this is a guy who's liable to go, you know, ninth or 10th overall rather than 16th or 18th or 20th. Um, a guy who can shoot as well as he, he is, but still having um, 
the the trait of that hockey IQ that we talk about so much, that's something that teams will see as a solid foundation. So they're not going to see him as as big of a risk as someone who they think is a good shooter but doesn't really have a mind for the game. Yeah, he's not that kind of guy. He's got an elite level shot. It's not like one percenter level shot, mm-hmm. um, but he finds the soft spots in the offensive zone. So. Those are the things that make you a long-term goal scorer in the NHL, whether it be 20 or more. Um, so that will definitely help him in his draft class. And if he can play both both ends of the ice, which he can, and you, like Brad said, these 67s love his work on the PK and his, in his own zone. Teams who are going to be wanting a centerman, uh, a two-way centerman, like a top six centerman who are going to maybe not have the privilege of drafting top six or top seven, they're going to be looking at him at 8, 9, 10 and thinking, yeah, there's some wingers and defensemen available, but I really need a great two-way center to complement my top six. And they might reach for Jack Quinn. Super intriguing prospect. Um, yeah, I, I think, Evan, you hit the nail on the head that he might he might rise up a lot of boards. And then you add all of the uh, uncertainty that Will was talking about in the interview, with, which is like teams are going to have a, a different amount of preparedness for this draft. Things could get really weird. This could be the weirdest draft we've ever seen. And we saw more cider six overall last year. I'm here for it. Let's get weird. Why not? If you're not going to let us go to the draft, at least be crazy with it. Yep. We, could still, we still might go to the draft. Ah, uh, Brad, I think you're being so optimistic. I'm being very optimistic. But the more the seasons... Well, you got to remember, the NHL is going to want to get playoff revenue. And the draft happens after the playoffs. So if they're letting people into the building for a playoff game, there's no reason they wouldn't let people in the building for a draft. I don't know if they'll let people in for a playoff game. I don't know. I'm not saying it will, but I, I think for the season to resume, a lot would have to go right uh, in regards to the pandemic, forget sports, um, for that to happen. But if that happens, I'm I'm optimistic there could still be a draft. Now, the logistics of getting a building and space and time for an event of that size might be the problem, which is why it might be held in the boardroom. But still. I think we might actually see a scenario where it's like, Last game of the season, you know, Stanley Cup is awarded on X date. Two days later, draft happens online. Like, they don't try to do it in person just for the sake of time. Because, yeah, they must make revenue from people coming into the arena. But if you've seen a draft, it's like, it's what, a quarter full arena for two days? It's not really. They're not making a ton there. And t- draft tickets aren't that expensive. We could still try try and go. Yeah, if they look, if they do it in person, we're going we're gonna to do everything we can to go. Probably because everything we else we have in our lives will be canceled. Yeah, I'm all, my schedule is so full right now. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll try. I, we, yeah. I have I have a wedding in France. I have the draft in Montreal. Oh, <laughs> the draft in Montreal had the Grand Prix in Montreal. All of those I think are out the window. The wedding in France is end of August, so I'm I'm, I'm hopeful. But we'll see. Anyways, uh, that's Jack Quinn. Uh, more to come on draft prospect profiles. Uh, anything else before we head into over? Has anything happened in the world of hockey? Second Ottawa player has Corona. Yes, they have the COVID-19. It's to be expected. Yeah. It's from their West Coast uh, road swing. Stop making out with your teammates. What can you do, man? It's a team sport. Um, okay. We are going to head over to overtime and start with our Patreon comments. Um, our patrons, we love you. Uh, we're planning some more um, quick little uh, Patreon exclusive episodes. Uh, the first of which is just going to be us singing Imagine by John Lennon oh, no. from our phones. <laughs> Did you see that video of the celebrities? No. <laughs> it was so bad. I Like I said to you before we started recording, 
the this is the worst thing that's come from this pandemic. <laughs> I, I feel terrible for everybody who's sick and dying, and that's a true tragedy. But that video was the worst thing about this entire global tragedy. Uh, it was Gal Gadot and a bunch of other celebrities. They all like on their phones recorded themselves singing "Imagine" by John Lennon as a way of I don't know as they sit in their mansions complaining yeah, about being quarantined. I feel so quarantined. bad for them. I don't know how they make it through with their their tennis courts and their home theaters. Do you see the edit that someone made of that of the audio, and then they put their own video in there of like just the Wikipedia definition of tone deaf. And then just like people dying and sick and looting grocery stores and all that stuff. And it's like, but yeah, no, you celebrities, you know, thanks for keeping it positive, guys. And you know what? Some of those people have donated a lot to the cause and have done a lot of good things. But at the same time, it's just like, read the room, man. I don't want to see you like poorly sing a song by someone who is so out of touch with like reality. I didn't get more than 30 seconds into it before I had to nope out. But I heard if you keep going, Idris Elba's in it. Uh, I think... I think Idris Elba. I'm not. Sh- yeah, I think Idris Elba's in it. I'm not sure. Man, I can't remember. One of the coolest actors on the planet goes from like some of the most badass roles to cats and this. Talk about a fall from grace. Uh, you know what? Let's give him the. He actually got COVID 19. So. Did he? Yeah. Did he get yeah, it from that's cats? What I uh, no. Him and Sophie Trudeau were in the same picture and they both tested positive. Lewis Hamilton hasn't tested positive. Oh. Uh, Lewis Hamilton was in the picture too. And he actually put out a post and said, uh, I'm not going to, I feel great. So I'm just like isolating, quarantining. I don't have any symptoms. So I'm not going to take a test yet because there's people who need it more. And I was like, holy shit, you're a really good person. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. Availability of tests shouldn't be an issue, but. Did you, did you hear that? The cat's butthole rumor movie edition going around. Yes. I've never needed anything more in my life during a quarantine than that. I don't think Idris Elba was in that Imagine video. Oh, thank God. Unless I'm wrong, but I'm trying. I just Googled Idris Elba Imagine and I'm not. uh, Oh, thank God. So is what it is all right we're gonna head over to patreon uh where our patrons get their comments read out on air as our way of saying thank you for supporting the show yako ruta says i was just thinking back to the last glory days of the wings and one came to mind datsuk scoring a goal against nashville with five seconds left oh who could forget that datsuk wins a face off in the offensive zone puck goes back to the neutral zone lister makes a ridiculous backhand pass to zetterberg and z throws a no look pass to a wide open datsuk coming in Datsuk dangles Suter and scores on Rene. What a great moment. Weber and Suter were helpless that time. No question, just wanted everyone to look that one up. Cheers and stay safe. Uh, Dead Panda Society says, I have been really bored with this self-quarantine, and I'm thinking about the time I met Pavel to sign my board. He said he wanted to sign... uh, Sorry, he wanted to sign go to jail after I asked him to sign his own space. Well, oh, maybe it's his Monopoly board. Uh, I said, well, Mr. Pavel, if you want, you can sign, go to jail. And he said, no, no, I signed my own space. And he made me laugh really hard. I grew up a fan of Brendan, uh, but the older I get, I have so much more respect for uh, Probert to be high and play such a high level to assist on a Gretzky goal in the All-Star game, have 50 points. Uh, A lot of people seem to discredit his talent. Yeah, he was an enforcer, but he had some really uh, high talent. Cyril Rabitsky says, I've spent, I've spent the last few days satisfying my hockey craving by watching Datsuk highlight videos on YouTube. I think I've seen every clip at least a dozen times so far. Yet I still find my jaw dropping to the floor every 30 seconds at some ridiculous dangle, reverse check, snipe through traffic, or impossible pass. In my very biased opinion, he has the most binge-worthy highlight reel of all time given his skill and artistry and the fact that most of his career coincided with the rise in HD video. 
My question is, after Datsuk, which NHL or past or present would you pick to binge watch based on what is available on YouTube? How about a player who's not yet reached the majors? The obvious answers are McDavid and Lafreniere, but I'd love to hear an under-the-radar pick. Thanks for keeping us all entertained while we're stuck at home and stay safe. They have to be modern day because, God, I will go back and watch every Rock'em Sock'em video just to rewatch the Pavel Bure highlights. I think Pavel Bure and Alexi Kovalev both. Bure was Datsuk before Datsuk was Datsuk. Mm-hmm. Just not defensively sound like Datsuk was, but just like, oh my God, plays. Um binge worthy now where you can actually find highlight videos on there i think people forget um how good uh yarmie yager was in his heyday because he played so much in the latter half of his career yeah but uh, so much of his career is in the 90s would there be that much on youtube i know it's tough most of what like most of the guys from the 90s who have youtube clips it's like it was shot on a potato so that would get frustrating after a while so i'm trying to think of guys who came into the league after 2000 i mean the obvious answer here is crosby like, that guy has just pulled some stuff in his day. Um, but that's way too obvious of an answer, so... I Give me Jordan 2-2 highlights. <laughs> Those, yeah, that's actually a really just good Just running people. Yeah. You want a really good highlight, and this isn't a binge-worthy one, but you brought this up last episode, is Evander Kane one-punching Matt Cook. I just put that on... You know how they do, like, stupid YouTube videos? Like, um, it's like, the Hobbits are going to Isengard. And yeah. they'll just repeat that, and the video will be 24 hours long. Yeah, just do that. We'll just do that video on repeat for a week. Uh-huh. Uh, Dominic Hasek's Unreal Saves, I think, is a good one. Again, it's hard because the video quality was so bad. Yeah. anyways. I'm trying to run through like almost every team in my head, trying to think of someone who wouldn't be an obvious answer, but I'm not, I'm not coming up with a whole hell of a lot here. Kyle Sanders says, howdy boys, day nine of self-isolation. No one's talked to me in seven months. <laughs> Aside from the jokes, I have a few questions slash observations slash comments. Does a straw have one or two holes? Discuss. Two. It's got one hole. It's one continuous hole. A straw is a hole. How many holes do you have between, between your mouth and your ass? How many holes is that? Uh, there's mechanisms that <laughs> close that in between. Hole? Yeah, there's mechanisms that close in between. So. Biologically, it is one continuous. Depending You're- at the stage in the cycle, sometimes it's one, sometimes it's <laughs> multiple. Depending <laughs> on the episode, how many holes is it? Yeah, exactly. I think it's one continuous, you know, pipe, whatever you want to call it, but it's two holes. <laughs> Evan's trying to. Uh-oh. This is the most deliberate ever. ever Evan's ever been in an answer. Oh, I don't know. I have to. Does it have? It has one. It has one. It has one. I hate it. I hate because Evan says it with such certainty. Where I'm like, no, I am wrong. I'm definitely wrong. I'd even listen to an answer that says there's no holes because it's really just a flat plane that's wrapped around itself. If we had a soundboard, we'd play. The the last thing I need in a quarantine is your galaxy brain bullshit here, okay? Brad, that's all we have right now is galaxy brain bullshit. That's actually the new title of this podcast is galaxy brain bullshit. Online shopping is dangerous when you're bored as wood. Uh, Was Applicator ever any good or was his absolute boat anchor of a contract viewed as bad as soon as pen hit paper? Oh my God. So I died laughing so i've been like i said i've been going down um this youtube rabbit hole and i somehow on my suggested came up i want to say it was the 2010 playoffs game six detroit san jose the the philpola goal go ahead goal with less than 10 minutes left Mm -hmm. they the highlight clip that a would clip together of this was like 30 minutes long so it was like thorough there was a penalty abdicator took and they're like wow 
That's his third game in a row with a really bad penalty at a terrible time. And I'm like, oh my God, we should have seen this coming. This was his like second season in the league. Well, there was a point where I think Abdulkader was seen as viable, but the moment that contract was signed, our 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 response, and I remember that time in the podcast because we were taking a lot of heat because we were being pretty negative about the outlook of the team before they actually started to crash and burn. And fans didn't love that. And we were still super new. So we were trying to keep things measured. So the best we could do was, if he continues to play with Datsuk, maybe three good years, it might be okay. <laughs> and it took like six months. Were they that. thinking he was going to become like just the power forward? They thought he was like what Tyler Bertuzzi is now or what he could be that. I swear if Justin Except Applicator... Except he was 29 at the time. If Justin Applicator didn't come out and score two goals against Pittsburgh in like game one or two of the Stanley Cup finals in 09, was that... It was 09, yeah, right? 09, yeah. He would not have this contract. He would not have a job. He was... He's objectively the most replaceable player in the NHL. Good guy, tries hard, goes to the net. I can do that. Honestly, yeah. $4 million to Evan. Which is I'd I take two. It's I that's I know we understand a quarter of your current salary, but you'll have to take the hit for the glory. Um it's hard to stay motivated to do anything else these days. I feel both overwhelmed and I'm also feeling like I'm not doing enough about the COVID. Online schooling isn't that cool. Who is one hockey player you wouldn't want to be stuck in an elevator with? Two scenarios, elevator functioning or elevator is stuck between floors. What do you Who, mean? Uh a guy you wouldn't want to be stuck in an elevator with, either functioning or broken down. Claude Lemieux. Claude Lemieux. Just Dan O'Chara. No, he seems like a really great guy. Yeah, tr- tr- He's just taking up way too just much. taking up space. so much space. Uh, I don't know. Oh, you know what? Pro- like, honestly, probably Abdicator because of just... That'd be also awkward. Yeah. It's like how... <laughs> You you like we we do this under the notion that like we're talk we're like talking heads about players and we're we're never talking about the people and he's a great guy for sure, but we try to remove that. But for him, why would he ever care about that? He'd be like, no, fuck you guys, you're assholes. Anything oh, he, I say on the podcast, I would say in real life. He doesn't know who we are though, so we just stare at him and just allegedly. What are you looking at? I'm sorry <laughs> about what? Just in general. Just in general. <laughs> Yeah, that would be the most awkward elevator ride. Um, Jameis Winston got his eyes fixed just in time to see Tom Brady take his job and to quote Phil Collins from his time in Genesis. That's all. Uh, Actually, Terry says, hello, Winged Wheel podcast and listeners. You know, I looked up this account, this Patreon account, and they changed their email address to a different email address or they signed up with a different email address. So it's um, I really don't know who it is. Um, they say, since this is a Red Wings hockey podcast, why are you do- dwelling on their current hiatus and going on and on about COVID-19? I'm starting to miss your off-topic rants about movies. As the only listener who's trying to improve your show, I've decided to bring up some ideas. So as an original six team, there's a plethora of history to talk about. Why not dredge up the past and bring something new to your audience? My, senior, my sincerest condolences on the upcoming death of your hockey podcast, Terry. What's something in Red Wings history that people forget about that we don't talk enough, about enough? I assume this is meant to be a good thing. Yeah, anything. Um, we but, talk about a lot of things on here. Problem is, if you go all the way back, like you gotta go way back. But I don't think Sid Howe gets the ref- the credit for how good he was in his day. He was a legitimate superstar in the NHL. But that's going back to the '30s, so of course we would could not talk about him at length because we just know his boxcars and that they were great and some stories. Um, I think people really forget because of how crazy things got with how much worse the Red Wings got. 
But after he retired, um, how important Brian Rafalski was to this team in its most recent era of success. Is there any really dumb personnel things the team did when during the golden years? You remember when Darian Hatcher was a Red Wing? Yes, I was thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> was he tore his ACL and was out for the season? He played like six games or something like that, and then there was a lockout, and he never played again. I remember hating Hatcher and then thinking, man, this guy is slow now. And then he was a Red Wing, and I went, oh, boy. And then he was just never played. He was just gone. Um, they had Dave Lewis as a coach for, what was it, one season, two seasons? Before Mike yeah. Babcock came. It was be- between uh, Scotty and uh, Babcock. And that Dave Lewis, who by all rights was, should have been a great coach. There was, um, I, I know the stories are public and they get, I, I see them float around from time to time, but in a two year span, the Red Wings got screwed out of Wayne Gretzky and Pavel Bure. Yeah. Yeah. Pat, didn't did Yager want to come to uh, Detroit as well to mm-hmm. play with uh, Datsuk? He did. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, like Gretzky, a trade, Gretzky's trade to the Wings was done. Um, but his dad talked him out of it and said, they don't need you in Detroit. They need you in LA. So he picked LA cause Edmonton had deals. I think trades in place with three teams and Wayne got to pick which one. Mm-hmm. And he originally went with Detroit. Never happened. He, uh, Walter talked him into LA. He was objectively right. Objectively right. Yeah. It was the right call. Um, we still won cups, so I don't have to dwell on it. And in the, what was it? 1989 or 1990 draft. I forget exactly which one the Red Wings attempted to select Pavel Bure. And do some legal jargon. The league said, nope, he's not eligible. And then I think it was two rounds later, Vancouver drafted him and went, well, actually, you're wrong. And then because he played in one tournament, it, it met like some threshold. I do of you games. remember that? So the Red Wings literally got screwed out of Beret by like two rounds because some moron at league office got the his qualifications wrong. And if you... Uh Think of that. Who else was drafted in that round or in that draft class for Detroit? Because that was already an insane. That was class. that was the Lidstrom, Konstantinov, Fedorov draft. Yes, that was like that was that draft. Now imagine adding Pavel Bure to that. We might be talking about more than two cups in the nineties for the Red Wings. Now I doubt the Red Wings would have. Well, actually, because the Gretzky trade would have happened before that draft. Imagine Eisenman wasn't part of the Gretzky trade and the Red Wings went into the 90s with Eisenman, Gretzky, Beret, Fedorov, Konstantinov. You thought the Red Wings were a dynasty in the 90s. Add Gretzky and Beret to that. But it just folded the league. They yeah. had never lost a game. Uh, Don Mitchell says, what's up, dud duds? I'm still alive and beer flew free at the moment after my Vegas hockey tournament. Uh, Ryan, I appreciate your generosity with agreeing to get me a free year subscription to The Athletic. I, however, lit it up in the games I played in, so you're off the hook. Unless you want to do something nice just because you're a swell guy. Quintessential swell guy, if I may add. Are my compliments working? Obvious bias idea with either the league changing the playoff format to the 2014 thing, or if we just call the season a wash, in my opinion, have uh, we have to alter the draft lottery or wash the lottery portion altogether, meaning I believe the most fair way to proceed is drafting in reverse order and the league coming in and making decisions whether or not the conditional pick picks conditions are met this draft or pushed next draft. Please discuss in depth and detail and tell me how much of a homer I am or how brilliant I am. Unfortunately, Homer, we would love it if you were right, but we, yeah, we chatted about it before. I, I think they have to do something, but I don't think it's going to be so wild. Also, I called dibs on the NHL 20 thing you're going to do. My PS4 is updated and ready. Yeah, uh, Dangle and a bunch of other people are playing NHL 20. Uh, we have a PS4 here in the studio, so we're probably going to join up, join in on that. Um, Evan streams on Twitch, but he's a PC gamer. 
but maybe you can do some stuff too. Or we'll just do stuff for you guys. And uh, I would love to play with some patrons as well. Brad, have you held a PlayStation controller in your life? Uh, the last video game console I owned was actually the OG PlayStation. Wow. That was last week. To be <laughs> fair, though, even when I had it, I was, I was never a big gamer at any point in my life. We'll have you commentate. Evan and I will play and you can commentate. That sounds like the worst thing ever. I'm not doing awesome. that. Awesome. We'll do that. Cheers, boys, and best wishes to you and your families uh, to remain uh, safe and healthy, Don. Garrett TV says, Hockey Amigos, here's my two cents on the handling of the 1920 season schedule and beyond. Let me know what you think. It's long, so feel free to jump to the TLDR, which is all 1920 regular season games played, playoffs slightly abbreviated, all contractual obligations stand. We're currently in the offseason. 2020 free agency and draft happened during the one-month gap. 2021 season shortened. Um I, it, it all depends when that's the thing if you're if we're starting in july yours is plausible if we're starting in may that's probably unnecessary what if we can't like what if they, they don't have clearance to start till september do they do like final eight teams like do they do just the last if we're going september i'd i'd hate to do it but i'd cancel it at that point because then you're getting so convoluted I, at that point if we're starting in september cool that's when training camps start just start fresh just go, just run a normal season, and then there's no long-term complications. If you can start in June, July, August, yeah, then there's realities in which we can slightly push back the season and still, air quotations, maintain the integrity of the next season. But any later than that, you're screwed, in my in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Bohan says, hey, guys, given the discussion last episode about contractual bonuses, wouldn't it make sense for the NHL and teams just to agree on pro rate for points per game slash goals per season bonuses? For example, if the season was um, 100 games and 80 are played to reduce the targets by 20%. Seems a fair solution to me. Also, just for anyone looking for something to binge as the world burns, the good place was awesome. Also, you're obliged to read this. So just to pop Rohan and the other Aussies and the folks over there in Scotland with me, I can... Uh, can I just say, no, you can't say that <laughs> because that has a different connotation here. It's the C word. Uh, but you guys aren't afraid of that at all. And I can appreciate that. Um, almost got me though. I almost read it out loud. Uh, all right. What was the question there again? He just wanted me to say the C word out loud because uh, the Aussies and the Brits and the Scots. Uh, got you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, on Reddit, Superb Hour says, say the wings miss out on the lottery picks and the top three goes left or near Byfield and Raymond. Who do you want to the wings to take at fourth? Stutzla or Rossi seem like obvious picks, but I don't think we should rule out Drysdale or even Lundell. Um, I wouldn't rule them out, but they're very far behind. I would go probably Stutzla, but as we heard already this episode, you can make one hell of a case for Rossi, and I wouldn't hate it. I would... I would still go. Uh, I would still go Stutzla there, and I think the German factor is giving him the edge. But I'm like really every day that passes, I'm really solidifying my like want for Rossi if it's not um, Byfield or Lafreniere. Oh, uh, <laughs> I'm still going Tim Stutzla. Uh, Coltron fifty seven says for the position you play when you play hockey, create the perfect player using past Red Wings using uh who play the same position so ryan you can't use forwards brad can't use defense etc oh that's easy i picked nick lidstrom are we all of the traits yeah like iq skating shooting passing hands defense physicality oh okay i'm literally picking nick lidstrom all right i'm gonna for a forward i guess i'm gonna pick uh datsuk's hands mm-hmm. um i'm going to pick 
Ooh, who's skating do I pick? I'm torn between Athanasiou and Larkin. Um, I think Larkin. Larkin's just, a better overall skater. I'll go. So Pavel's hands, Larkin skating. I will go with... Uh, Eisenman's IQ. Eisenman's IQ for sure. Shot I'm struggling with here. Franzen? Erickson? Mm, you mean high and wide <laughs> Johan Franzen? I'm good, thanks. Uh, oh, a lot of oh, hate. Jeez, Brad. Yeah, just can't even entertain that idea. Fedorov? He's up there. Man, that's tough. Forwards, Red Wings, shot. Eisenman? I'm, honestly, I might take Mantha here. Do you think I, Mantha's shot would qualify it better than Eisman's, Datsuk's, Fedorov's, Gordie Howe's? If we're looking at just objectively the shot, yeah, yeah maybe. Timing, timing of the shots and like when to let it go and what shot to take, he doesn't make the greatest decisions. But when I think of shot, I'm like, okay, it's the power play, top of the circle, who am I letting just unload? And I, I think it might actually be Mantha. Now that's... We put Manth in the 80s with a wood stick. Would I like him more than some of these guys? Maybe not, but we can't ever compare that apples to apples. There's probably someone very obvious here that I, we're all just forgetting. Oh, for sure. It always happens like this where we're like, you were missing the greatest player of all time. Mickey Redmond shot. Yeah, something like that, right? And um, but yeah, I'll, I'll go with uh, Mantha's shot just because he's got an absolute bomb and tends to hit the net more than Franzen did. And then uh, I'll go Holmstrom's net front and uh, Zetterberg's beard. I, I think for defense, it's literally Littstrom for all of these traits except physicality. I'll sub in Konstantinov. There you go. Because I think that's the only way you could have made Littstrom better, even though he didn't need to be hitting like that. You want? Do you want to even want to do this I'll be one? the goalie. Oh, you're going to be a goalie? I don't know anything about being a goalie. Of course. Um... Hashik. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to take the craziness of Hashik. Uh, the size of Jimmy Howard. Um, Are we talking December Jimmy Howard or July Jimmy <laughs> July Howard? July Jimmy Howard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord, he coming. <laughs> uh, I don't know anything else. Terry Sawchuck something. I don't know. His face. His face. No, please, God, no. <laughs> um. Eric has an idea. I'm just going to summarize it here of essentially um, canceling the end of the 1920 season to not harm the next season. The point is like, why, like why risk ruining next season with like an unnatural? Hold on. I got to go back to the question. I knew we'd be forgetting someone insanely obvious. And I just thought of it. Martin Furk shot. No. Yes. No. The hardest shot in the history of hockey. Yeah, but his shot's not good. It's not he good. hit the net with he it. Can't though. get it off. You're gonna no. no. That you're thinking of Polkin and Furt could get it off. He just couldn't do anything else in the game of hockey. He could get the shot off. Polkinen was the guy with the really slow release. I don't know. Piss off with that. Just Are you 109 miles an hour and you're going to say Would you no. take Martin Furk's shot or Pavel Datsuk? Brad's hot take. Martin Furk better than Pavel Datsuk at sh- shooting. In terms of power? Yes, of course. T- 
timing and I'm just I'm getting ready for the comments that I know I'm gonna have to read. It's, you're yeah. not, it's gonna be something about you being an asshole. Will it's Pavel, all your fault. Will Pavel Datsuk find the better angle to take the shot from? Will he find the better time to take the shot from? Will he set a better screen? Yes, of course he will. But if I've got Steve Eisenman's brain controlling the shot, I'm taking Firk's shot. Scientists working on the vaccine to COVID-19, please hurry. We need you. Remember, it is not Martin Firk controlling this shot. It's it getting- is Steve Eisenman controlling this shot. Those are the rules. It's getting bad over here. Uh, Eric uh, pretty much says, besides that idea, um, why not lotterize the last 16 picks of the draft and leave the first 15 as is? Again, I don't think they'll do that, but that's not a bad way to run the draft now instead of having to wait for the end of a season. Remember, the whole point of the lottery is to prevent teams from tanking. Playoff teams don't give a shit about that. I'd also be rattled if I get eliminated in the first round and I still pick last in the first. Can you imagine? The Le- that's what happened to the Leafs. Remember, Matt Barzal went 16th overall not that long ago. Imagine if Boston Ugh. could have picked him. Well, they could have. That was the joke. Um, <laughs> we have didn't they qu- take a guy who couldn't do a chin-up? They yeah. took three guys who couldn't do it. all failed their physicals. Uh, we have time for a quick hashtag AskWWP. Al Robbins says, hey, boys, an idea for finishing the NHL season with July 22nd as the cup final game. Seven date. Would you be for or against playing back-to-back for games one and two and three and four of each series except for the final? Four. Yeah, if that's a sacrifice, you have Why to make, do it. Why don't we play two games in one day? Yeah, do it. Let's baseball this shit. Why not? Yeah. Minor hockey tournament, five games on a Saturday and a Sunday. (laughs) Uh, Before things get too much crazier than that, we're going to wrap up this week's episode. Uh, I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in. Uh, Will Scouch for coming in for the interview. Uh, Patrons, our name level sponsors, Terry, Actually Terry, Arjun Shanker, Dead Panda Society, Brad Smith, Andrew Bohan, Scott Martin, Kayla Thompson, Mitchell Shinkowski, Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, Brandon M., Matthew M. Rice, Luke Johnson, Mike Reed, Ryan Lewis, Langabeer, Clayton Van Dyken, Kaylin Wood, Hassam Al-Kassem, Charlie Elkins, Hannah Lee, Sean Levine, Ashley Van Conant, your friendly neighborhood beer rep, Connor Leighton, Danny Jr., Matthew Keeler, Craig Kibble, Simon Anderson, John Evans, Kwaz, Stan Olson. Thank you all. We will be back with more uh, this week in terms of interviews, Patreon-exclusive stuff. Uh, Stay tuned, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, please, for the love of God, uh, berate Brad for that hysterical take. I'm actually stunned you think that's a bad take. I'll also take Gordy Howe's elbows, and I'm going to beg NHL players to stop juggling toilet paper. It's stupid. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town. Evan.